You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Bigfoot has been the subject of debate for years, and it's back again. This thing was ten foot tall. He had beautiful hair. This video was captured on the cell phone of a Turner team after he and his dad heard strange noises. In it, a tall, dark figure can be seen walking from right to left. There was a 8 to 10 foot hairy man looking person. It could be a bison, it could be a bear, and it definitely could be Bigfoot. He looked like he had six fingers on each hand. Has Bigfoot been spotted in Maine? Well, a video from the woods has gone viral on YouTube. And after four days of investigating, a local researcher says he can't quite debunk it. And there was Bigfoot standing there. He was standing on his height feet. He was very tall. And he was gray and dirty, ugly looking with uh, real curly-like hair. Belief can be a powerful force. No one knows that better than the people who are sure they've seen Bigfoot. At first I thought it was probably a deer or something, and then, and then, then it looked size, it looked tall, and then I thought, well, no, it must be another guy out here, but I, I thought I didn't think there was anybody else anywhere near where I was. It was such a remote area. It was very unusual that it could be another person, but then I realized that no, it wasn't a person, and it wasn't an animal on four legs. And then I clearly saw that it was uh, furry. It was Bigfoot. I mean, that's what it was. It was Bigfoot. And then we looked, and there was this creature, and it ran down this hill, and then it disappeared. What Murphy thinks she saw was Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. It was not a human gate. It was not a human. Never thought about Bigfoot. I've never gone out and looked for Bigfoot. It was there. Hey everybody and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 88. 88. And just and want to start off by saying perhaps the largest mythical beast that supposedly roams the various mountainous areas across the world yet remains elusive to many researchers, especially many cameras, is the enigmatic Bigfoot. But with so many eyewitness accounts, and anecdotes reporting encounters with this hairy beast, it causes one to wonder whether or not they actually exist. And if so, what sorts of implications does it have to the Bible-believing Christian? So, to discuss these matters, we've invited onto Canary Cry Radio, Tommy Poland. Tommy is a bivocational associate pastor for a church plant in Trinity, North Carolina, for the Center Point Community Church. He's a U.S. Army veteran from 1990 to 1993. Thank you for your services. And an IT professional for over 20 years, having worked with three Fortune 500 companies. And he is currently an IT project manager, which is interesting because that's what my wife does. But anyway, he is also an investigator with the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization since 2005 and has investigated over 50 local Bigfoot sightings in North and South Carolina. He's also a dad of two kids and married to what he claims to be the best wife ever. Absolutely. It's Tommy Poland. How you doing, Tommy? Ooh. Pretty good, guys. How are you guys doing? Thanks for you doing well. Doing good. That was good. that has got to be the longest intro that we have ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, he said 
he said a bio so i was like uh, let me give you what i've got yeah that was good and we <laughs> you, we got to tag in an intro for bigfoot himself up there at the top too so Absolutely. that's perfect <laughs> well how you doing good how you doing today buddy doing well doing well good good well thanks for taking the time out to uh come hang out with us and talk to us about the big feet man yes sir all right Tommy, can you tell us what got you interested in the subject of Bigfoot? Yeah, sure. Uh, so many years ago, and this is probably going to date myself a little bit, uh, when I was younger and you uh, wanted to go uh, enlighten yourself on something, you went to a place called the library. And uh, I was a frequenter of, of the library and uh, when I was younger, and I was always drawn to the zero zero section you're familiar with your Dewey Decimal System, and that always took me to the uh, the paranormal and uh, uh, sci-fi stuff. Huh. And uh, and so I was always drawn uh, to the Bigfoot books. Um, you know, I looked at the UFO stuff, and that was always interesting and fascinating. And then I uh, really started looking to the, the Bigfoot phenomenon and, and read on that uh, back when I was a younger kid. And then as uh, the Internet started making headway there in the mid-'90s, I... I started doing a little bit more reading and research online about it, and, and around the mid two thousands, I uh, did more a little bit more research as the internet became more prevalent, and uh, people started getting databases more solidified. I ran across uh, the BFRO, Bigfoot yeah. Researchers Organization. Yeah, I would say that the the early internet was like, uh, I feel like it was mainly dedicated to a lot of Bigfoot research. <laughs> It did, right? It did. I mean, a lot of it was like, wow, so that's much pretty it. cool. Yeah. It was. So as I uh, started looking at the different sites, the BFRO seemed to have probably the most comprehensive uh, of databases and seemed to be a little bit more streamlined and organized as far as uh, people interviewing eyewitness accounts. And that's the majority of, of the evidences that we have for uh, the creature are eyewitness accounts outside of uh you know the obscure video and pictures right uh and and vocalizations but the vast majority of your evidences are people telling you a story and right. uh the bfro has got a good vetting process so by the time it's gotten to it's the the databases um you can pretty well take it to the bank that the individual's making the report of seeing something uh-huh. and this brought you further in your research Reading. It did, yeah. As soon as I started uh, doing all, you know, reading from a child, reading on yeah. the internet. Um, well, I grew up in Southeast Texas in 1998. Uh, my wife and I moved to North Carolina, and as I started doing the research online uh, back in 2005, uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to take this from armchair research to field research. I love camping, and so a lot of these sightings were happening in my very backyard here in North Carolina. So why not um, get out there and just see for yourself? Right. And see if there's something to it else. You know, is this something being hoaxed or is there more to this phenomena? And so I would go out and, and go camping in the areas um, and listen in, in the wee hours of the night. And my first foray into uh, this area, it's called the Uori National Forest. It's a little bit south of where I'm at now. Uh, camping out about one to two in the morning, I heard some vocalizations, howling noises. Now I've been camping a lot of my life in Southeast Texas and in North Carolina. And I'm very familiar with coyotes and wolves and all the different wildlife and the sounds. And this one just sounded unique. It almost sounded right. very uh, simian, very primate. 
And I said, this is very strange. And um, unfortunately, I had a recorder with me, but the sound woke me up. And I was so startled by the sound, I just stood, sat there and listened. I was like, this is cool. And then it went away and I forgot to record. Oh. So it was one of those, you know, facepalm moments. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you look back at him like, gosh, but that really, is, you know, it, it prompted me to go further. And so I uh, went on an expedition with the BFRO. I became an investigator. And I really got to start talking face-to-face with people uh, in their one-on-one accounts. And that's really where the rubber meets the road when you start talking to people and you're able to, you know, I, I would say, guys, you know, 90% of the stuff that comes through, you can toss out. And it's just people, you know, maybe they're inebriated or what have you, and they think they saw something, didn't. But then there's that 10%. Right. And I, I go into it, and I went into this whole thing as um, open-minded but skeptical. I, I want to use a scientific method, um, look at the evidences, and let's, let's, you know, logically go through it. Could this be something that's happening, happening naturally? Did they, maybe it was a misidentification, maybe it was a black bear. Uh, maybe it was a horse. Maybe it was a very tall person in a ghillie suit. You know, you know it could be a number of those. You know, it yeah. could be a number of those different things. And so, uh, when I went out and we started doing the research and having my own encounters, and you start kind of crossing things off what it could be, and you're left with a small remnant of what it, you know, it could be. Right. And the, and the more and really the the people's stories, the eyewitness accounts, when people look at you, um, unblinking in the eye, and they tell you, I don't. You know, I don't care if anybody believes me or not. I'm going to tell you what I saw and I know I saw. Yeah. And they just, and they describe it in their story. And you can, you can ask the same person their story a year later and it stays the same. Yeah. How many people have you interviewed uh, or talked to about this? uh, In North Carolina and South Carolina, uh, over 50. uh, Yeah. In an investigative sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, going out and people finding out what my little side hobby is, they'll tell me their stories. And those right. Talk to me. So potentially, you know, you know, hundreds more, <laughs> you know, that people have told me. Yeah. And, um, it's, you know, law enforcement and military have told me things. And, you know, they're like, I don't want this going record. Don't tell them my name, but I'm going to just tell you the story, what we saw. Right. Yeah, I guess that's, a, that's the challenge with, you know, so many people probably do see things and, mm-hmm. you know, have encounters and things like that that are unexplained mm-hmm. and not, not just mm-hmm. Bigfoot, but UFOs and all kinds of stuff, Sure, but they don't want to go on record. You know, they don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But yeah. I exactly. mean, I'm sure we have a bunch of listeners who have a Bigfoot story. Um, oh, yeah. seem, seems like when we, whenever we talk about something like this, somebody emails or gives us a call and lets us know what are some of the more, um, I don't know. Interesting. I guess when I, when the normal person thinks of Bigfoot sighting, they think of, mm-hmm. you know, some guys, uh, up in the woods gathering mm-hmm. mushrooms and then <laughs> they come running back with a story. I they mean, what about you? Yeah. yeah. So there, and there, there's a couple that really uh, stand out to me that I've, uh, uh, interviewed and investigated, um, on site. Uh, one in particular happened about 2009. It was and actually it was um, featured on the Animal Planet show, Finding Bigfoot. Uh-huh. Um, I had a brief nine-second cameo on that show on Animal Planet. Uh, in the cases, the two of the cases they portrayed on that show were You're my cases. Star baby. No, no, far from it. No, far from <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, there, there was a group of hikers, three hikers, um, in, in the back of this uh, small national forest in central North Carolina called Uwari National Forest. Um, they went and they camped in this area off one of these trails and about, um, midnight, one in the morning and they're in their tents, uh, something starts, starts to pelt their tent with 
rocks or sticks or something. They just hear something hitting their tent. And, and so, of course, and they go, so what's that? It's, it's at night. Something's hitting our tent. Um, and they get scared. And they stay, and it ramps up through, through the night. The, the sticks and the rocks start hitting the tent. And then it, it goes to some, some yelling and some howling and some screaming um, around their tent. And they're, they're really scared. And this goes on till uh, about dawn, 530 to 6 in the morning. Oh my and gosh. Uh, they, get, they get out of the tent, and they pack up, and they leave. Now, some of the, and I, and I would ask him the details of the rocks. He said you could hear the rocks going through the tree limbs and hitting the leaves like a, you could hear the trajectory, and then it would hit the, the tree really loud like a baseball bat, or it would land into the creek nearby and make a big splash like a cannonball. Oh and it, it sounded like it was more than just one. It was two or three. In fact, one of the guys that were, were the camper, one of the campers, uh, he refuses to go back out to this area and camp anymore. And so uh, two weeks later, we went back. I mean, this is a very fresh case. And I got it in the database. And two weeks later, I went out and investigated it. And uh, the evening when we set up, um, something started getting thrown into the campsite. And I'm like, this, wow, this is, it's happening. I, Right. What's going on? So immediately, logically, I'm going, okay, what, what is, is something falling out of the trees? And so I'm looking around, and, and it's not, you could hear, and I couldn't see where they were landing, but you could hear them just flying through the, through the leaf and, and right. hitting the ground. And it, it wasn't happening nearly as frequently as these guys reported, but about every hour, you would hear that, and then you would hear some footfalls off the distance up on a ridge. And so, you know, a, a skeptical That's person here in the story, like, well, and a skeptical person, they've asked me, they'll say, there were some local rednecks out in the woods and they were messing with you guys. But this, just to give you some context, this was in a very deep, far away portion of the Edwari National Forest. Uh-huh. It would take you literally two and a half hours to hike into it, very hilly. It was in the summer, very humid, thick infested, rattlesnakes. I don't know of anybody that's going to want to play a prank on some local campers off the side of a trail without, you know, all night long. Right. Without going at least for an hour and going, hey, fooled you guys. And uh, that, that, that never happened. Yeah. So they packed up and headed out. And we, and we had that experience. And I, I had it. And um, I left that evening. One of the other investigators stayed that night. And he actually had one of the rocks that was thrown and it hit his chair. Oh, wow. my gosh. Yep. That's gnarly. Is that like, is that a normal thing for Bigfoot to start throwing stuff at? It people, is. It's it's part of their and, and what and what they'll what they'll do and here's kind of give you a, an, an outline of most um, of most sightings. They're they're trying to get the human out of the area. You're in their territory, right? Um, whatever, and and they they'll ramp up. Most of the time, it'll start with a little grunting noise, and then they'll throw a rock at you, and then they'll throw sticks. If that doesn't work, they'll they'll actually rush your campsite and and, and just kind of storm through your campsite, Ooh. hit your pots and pans, flip some coolers. If if that doesn't work, they'll actually make a physical presence. Now, this is where it gets a little unusual, and this is where I started making my ties um, biblically. And uh, if you don't mind me segueing to that a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, When I got into the phenomenon, I'll get back just talking about how they ramp up. When I got into this phenomenon, I started doing a study. uh, When I got into the BFRO, they started describing some of these things that are happening, and as I started interviewing people, some of these things are happening. One of the things they'll do in their, in their ramp-up method, and just work with me here a little bit, they will make their eye. they have a bioluminescence, and they can make their eyes glow red or reddish-orange. Okay. okay. I, I personally haven't witnessed that in, in the numerous uh, you know, field expeditions I've been on or on-site cases. I've never witnessed the, the red eye glow or the orange eye glow. 
people that I would use them as my litmus test. That if they tell me and they come back and say, Tommy, I saw this, I, without a doubt, I, I, I believe them. And I've had a couple of investigators that I, that I trust considerably that have told me, I'm telling you, I saw this, and they'll make their eyes grow red. So if the rock throwing doesn't work and the storming through your campsite and flipping your coolers doesn't work, they'll make a physical showing in front of you with their big you know, stature and their red eyes. And then if that doesn't work, and, and here, again, work with me on this one, they do something. And I found all this out when I started doing my investigation in 2005. They'll do something called zapping. Okay, let me explain. Huh. So zapping is a phenomenon that um, they, they call it, it kind of sounds National Enquirer-ish when they call it zapping, but it's similar to what elephants and tigers are being studied to show to do in the wild, which they emit a low-frequency infrasound to stun their prey. Hmm. Um, and apparently, in some situations where you just stand your ground, they will emit this frequency. I know it's getting crazy. Low frequency to make you, uh, give you this very flight or f- flight or fight feeling to where you want to get out of Dodge. Right. And in some cases where people have reported doubling over and throwing up, getting very nauseous, getting sick, or even, even fainting and passing out. Right. Right. Mm. Uh, just elicit an, an extreme fear. Their, their objective is to get you out. So then the questions obviously are, well, why don't they kill a human? It's a good question because if they kill modern human, they understand that they're in this particular state that they kill a man or kill some people, it's going to bring other people in. And their, uh, their main defense is being, um, is not, is being not seen and, and, and staying in the shadows of myth. Right. So when I started hearing all of this, um, early on in my studies, I thought in, in, in the most common theme in, in the Bigfoot research uh, field, and you'll see most people, uh, they'll say, well, there, there's some sort of a line of an ancient giant ape called Gigantopithecus. Right. And it, was a, it was a giant ape that uh, was up in the Asian continent, migrated over the, uh, the land bridge and made it over to North America. That's the, that's the common, uh, common theory. Um, I, I, was, I used to subscribe to that theory, but the, the more of the investigations that I did, the more I started to see some um, very unusual non-animal-like traits. Um, and of course, you know, we do see bioluminescence in nature. Um, we do the same for infrasound. But then to combine it all together with this big, giant, hairy creature that's a humanoid, eyes glow red and zaps, it sounds very unusual. And so the more I started reading scripture, and I started reading uh, descriptions about um, the fallen ones, the Nephilim, and then I started listening to L.A. Merzelli, I started connecting dots. And I'm like, there's, there's something more to it. And long story short, I, I personally believe, and, I, and this will throw a lot of big, Bigfoot investigators off that are listening. And some of them may believe it. I believe that they're a remnant of Nephilim. That's what I believe. Mm, there it is. Wow. There it is. I said it. Going <laughs> <laughs> on record. There it is. You're that's, in a safe yeah, I'm going place. And that's what I personally believe. You're in a safe place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I know it. I know it. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and a lot of people ask, well, why, why don't they find the bones? And right. To which my response is, well, have you ever heard of the Ohio mounds or uh, some of the mounds in Minnesota, and mm-hmm. heck, there's some here in North Carolina where they've actually excavated bones of very large people. Yeah, yeah, you can actually see. Uh, I mean, many times Bigfoot is portrayed with having sort of an elongated skull or like kind of a tall forehead, yeah. like a lot of those. Yeah, they have a sag- they have a sagittal crest. Yep, right. 
Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> and as I started putting those pieces together and started looking at it, it, it would just intrigue me. And the more I've gone out in the field, I personally haven't seen one. Yeah. The closest that I've gotten was that night when I was investigating, had the rocks thrown at me. Who knows how close they were. But my first, very first experience was on an expedition in North Carolina near an area called Dark Mountain. Sounds ominous already. Uh-huh. And about go there sounds scary. Yeah, I know. About one or two in the morning, me and a couple of other investigators were out trying to lure them in. I know it's, it sounds ludicrous. We start talking through it and saying it out loud. We're yeah. trying to we're trying to lure them in. And the way you do this, I started learning all this from uh, Matt Moneymaker, who is the, uh, the the president of the BFRO and is, uh, on the Animal Planet show Finding Bigfoot. And he was explaining all this through his years of research that that communicate. Through, through these knocking sounds. And you guys are probably seeing this on the shows. Yeah, um, they call it, I'm familiar. Yep, the, the wood knocking. And so we were doing this wood knocking on, at Dark Mountain. And at about 1 or 2 in the morning, within 50 yards of our position, we were in this like clearing. If you can imagine this clearing where your power lines kind of cut through. We were in this clearing facing the forest. And about that time, from one or, between 1 and 2 in the morning, it was a very loud knock way louder than what we were doing uh, emanated back probably 50 yards into the forest and it scared me it was so loud it scared me to death and you know i'm like well, what was that was that one of you guys and we actually had uh one of the FLIR cameras on it was a very weird setup that matt had at the time where it was his helmet it kind of looked i kind of looked like a character out of monty python but it was like this <laughs> helmet and this FLIR uh device mounted to the top of it and then i had this um if you're familiar with Star Trek Generations, like a, a Geordie like visor right. that I was wearing. <laughs> that was a monitor. If you would have saw me in daylight, somebody'd be like, that guy, and I had a backpack with a DVR on. It was <laughs> <laughs> so it looked odd. And at night I'm sure these things are going, What is that? And so I'm trying to record and I, I, needless to say I didn't get it on recording because I panicked. Right. And I, I grabbed the guy next to me and said, What was that you? He's like, No, it was coming around in front of us and I heard that loud sound. And it just and I knew right away that there was something to it because we were the only ones out there. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And so I knew right away there was something to it. And the more I dug and the more I started investigating and kind of putting two and two together, I knew there was something to the phenomenon. As if, and one thing you got to understand, and also in the Bigfoot realm, and let me get this out there, there are two, uh, there are two camps. Okay. There's, there are the serious, what I call the serious scientific Bigfoot investigators, where you actually have amateur scientists, which I'd like to consider myself, and then you actually have legitimate uh, PhD scientists uh, that are doing research. Uh, Dr. Right. Jeff Meldrum, Idaho State University, is probably one of the more prominent guys. Uh, he's, he's received a lot of ridicule. He's doing it, but he's got a, a, a good database of, of evidences. And the genuine scientists, people that just want to go find out what is it. And then right. the other camp, the other camp are the the fringe, or what I call the sensationalist. Every time they go to the woods, <laughs> they have a Bigfoot experience. Every time, <laughs> every time. And I can't stand it. And it drives me crazy because there are animals in the forest. Yeah. Trees fall by themselves. Rocks sometimes slip off the side of a, side of a, of a, of a cliff. So things naturally occur. So they, they abandon logic and they just immediately rush into the, the Bigfoot, it's the Bigfoot, it's the Bigfoot. Right, right. And so um, when I went into this, I, you know, step by step, as I said earlier on, I, I wanted to go through. And so if there is something to it, the evidence will present itself. And it has. And it has. It really has over time. Now, Getting back to the, the Nephilim theory, what really kind of solidified it for me a little bit more uh, was uh, here recently, and you can probably Google it and find some more information on it. There was a, 
a Bigfoot shooting, allegedly Bigfoot shooting, up in uh, Pacific Northwest, actually, I think, Northern California area. Right. A guy named, uh, and it's, it's controversial. Anyway, a gentleman says he shot a Bigfoot. Um, I don't know all the specific details. And he but put it in his piece. freezer? Put it in his freezer, yep. You you're probably heard of the story. I they think I remember the story. Yep, and they went off and, and to get uh, some DNA samples. They went to a lady named Melba Ketchum. Uh, I believe she's in Texas, and she's uh, done some research, and I think the papers are still being peer-reviewed or whatever, but they've got the DNA and uh, from a friend of mine who is uh, a very respected investigator in the BFRO. Um, he was telling me that when he spoke with whomever about it, that the results that came back said it was mostly human, but then there was a, a very big portion of unknown DNA. And, and she called it, and this is what she called it. She called it angel DNA. Mm. Now, uh. how she came to that conclusion of it being angel DNA, I don't know. But the hair stood up on my back of my neck. Yeah. And I was like, well, this, this really kind of makes, makes sense. I mean, if you look at all the, the biblical accounts of the giants and the giants that, uh, that the, uh, the Jews had to face, the Israelis, the Israelis had to face, um, and, and they're the opposing kingdoms around them. Right. Um, it really starts to add up. And, you know, as it says in Genesis, it says, and they, you know, they were there, you know, before flood and then afterwards. And I think right. there's still a remnant left, you know, or the remnant from that, that first attempt at trying to, you know, uh, infiltrate the, the genetic line of man. Uh, and then they're just still a breeding population, maybe. Right. Um, but, but it's definitely interesting to more. And, and I can't, um, I cannot seem to, you know, I'll get, I'll get out into the woods and camp and, and then, uh, you know, and, I, and I'll pray, and I'm like, Father, if, if this is crazy, if you don't want me to see this thing, just don't let me see it. You know, I, <laughs> I don't, it's okay. But I kind of want to see it. And then I in my, in my praying that a lot, too. And then my spirit, yes, but then in my spirit, it's almost like it's, he's going, no, 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 you don't. Or, you know, I'll, I'll get you kind of this close. Yeah. Um, but, but you're not. And I, I have yet. Uh, uh, and I've gone out a number of times. Now it's, it's, I've put the investigations on hiatus since I started this church plant, but from time to time I do get out and do the investigation. Yeah. Um, but the more research, the more it's, uh, it, it connects back biblically. Hmm. Right. Now I've known a couple of people who actually have had, uh, Bigfoot sightings or Bigfoot experiences mm -hmm. and, um, one more than the other, but they both sort of had this. I don't know when they're explaining the situation to me, they explain it in almost, um, like it was a, now I want to use this term lightly, but they, mm -hmm. they seem to have sort of a spiritual experience with, yeah. not necessarily with Bigfoot itself, but like, sure. I don't know the fact of seeing him and there's just like the phenomenon. There's just yeah. like a feeling of, destiny and like just yeah. some strange outer worldly stuff is that something yep. you encounter a lot yeah i, I do and uh definitely I, I try to be careful of that too because there's there are the group in the fringe that like to consider them some sort of interdimensional beings and then they're tied right. together where ufos are dropping them off all over the place right um, so I, I i try but yes I, I do find that oftentimes when people have i've had people that report to me when they, they've seen the thing uh light the eyes red but they immediately start crying. And so I don't mm -hmm. know if maybe that has to tie in with the infrasound, what they call zapping. Not right. sure. Um, but um, yeah, I've had that. So let's talk about that zapping real quick. Is that, sure. 
how has somebody measured that or is that caught on recorder or something? Cause I know that is a, mm-hmm. um, that is something like you said with elephants and tigers and that's yeah. a, a field of study going on right now. Um, was that just found with researchers and recorders or that was found through personal experience. And that's, and that's sometimes now recently I've, there's a, there's a friend of mine in the BFR over in the Missouri area. And I saw that he had, this experience is having experience and they caught it on recording. Now I think they're still doing some analysis to see the different frequencies and see if that it is that, that frequency range that you would consider infrasound, but I'm right. not sure where that study's at now, but as far to date, there hasn't been most of this is all eyewitness accounts. Now me personally, you know, if I were walking through a very dark forest and this, you know, eight, nine, 10 foot massive creature stood up in front of me, yeah. I may soil, I may soil myself and, I uh, <laughs> yeah. don't want to have the fight or flight feeling too. Right. When something yeah. that intimidating. So they, they may, I like to say they, they may be attributing it to that. But then again, I don't want to discount some of these guys' experiences because they're adamant that what they had was what they consider a zapping and they could feel something emanating through their bodies. Right. Right. Weird we call stuff, that, man. I know it's all we that stuff, fear. Well, that's really yeah, interesting. That I mean, there's, there's people who have UFO encounters that have the same mm-hmm. thing, that same feeling. Sure. You're exactly so, right, on. Yeah, yep. so that's interesting. Now, I want to. I had a question about probably the most famous recording of the alleged Bigfoot. You know, and yes, this sir. this sort of um, could be misdirection. It could be fake. Uh, you know, mm. it's a 16 millimeter film that was taken in yep. 1967 by Roger Patterson mm. yep. and Bob Gimlin and yep. uh, you know Bluff Creek, California. What yep. are your thoughts on that footage? I think it's I think it's real footage. I think it's genuine footage of what we call a Sasquatch. I think it's been uh, it's been ran through some serious uh, recently uh, scrutinization through uh, current technologies examination of the film. Um, there was actually a, a group that went back and uh, got an identical uh, recorder um, that that Gimlin used uh, right. the exact aperture, and they were able to do some analysis with the trees at the Bluff Creek area and come up the, and determine that they, this was probably um, you know between six nine to seven foot tall figure. You can clearly see when you enhance some of the film that it's female, um, and hmm. so it, it's it's the most scrutinized, but it's still yet to be disproved as being a hoax. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people have come forward and said, "I'm the guy in the suit. I'm the guy in the suit." But when you have ten, fifteen people saying, "I'm the guy in the suit," coming out, <laughs> yeah, you know, that immediately discredits the guy in the suit theory. Right, right. People are just trying to take some sort of a credit. I think it's genuine. I think it's legitimate. I got a friend of mine. He's an investigator over in California. His name is, uh, well, he's on uh, the Animal Planet show, Finding Bigfoot. His name is uh, Bobo. They call him Bobo. Um, and he's been out in that region before, and he's, he can, he's told me before that it's, he's pretty confident that's, that's the real deal. And I, yeah. I believe him wholeheartedly. He's a good guy. Now, there's a lot of Bigfoot footage out there. There is. Um, I mean, where do you categorize most of this? Is this something you, do you spend time going through videos or is that not really your, your way of doing things? But no, from, from time to time, somebody will send me something. What do you think about this video? And, and I keep track through the, the Bigfoot's uh, BFR database and through right. the BFRO's uh, Facebook sites and stuff like that. A majority of it, Basil, you can probably toss as somebody just trying to make a hoax. But there's some intriguing stuff out there. Right. And that's always the trick. People are like, why can't we get 21st century? Why can't you get one of these things on camera? We've got cameras all over the place. So here's yeah. some things to kind of keep in mind. Number one, these things are primarily nocturnal. I don't know about you, but at night I'm asleep for the most part, unless I'm out camping. You know, most of the human population is going to be asleep. For save you know a few people here and there are going to be out in the night, uh, and they're they're nocturnal. Number two, they're fast. 
Uh, these are quick mm. animals. They've got, they've got long strides. So if you have a game camera set out there, uh, even some of the quickest triggered cameras um, have a hard time catching deer. And somebody said, well, no, no, I've seen a game cam where a deer sprinted by and we've caught the back end of a deer. Sure. So let's say that happens with a Bigfoot. Let's say a Bigfoot sprints by a game cam, bam, gets a shot, and you see the, a hairy backside <laughs> go by. Right. Is it a bear? Is it a bear? Yeah. Or is it a Bigfoot? What part of that are you going to see and say, ha-ha, conclusively, this is a Sasquatch? Mm. No. Or if you see an arm or a hand go by. You know, it, it's, it's still not going to... These things are going gonna to flip by, and there's, they can also detect and hear some of these sounds. And I know that because we had um, a gentleman, one of the investigators out here, uh, he had a couple of high-end a few years ago, back when these were high-end reconics game cams. It was the top-of-the-line game cams we had, and we put them out in this area where had, we've had some sightings. And he, he camouflaged them in a stump uh, and in some brush where a person walking by just wouldn't see them. And we left them out there for months. He collected it. We got the months? SIM card back from one. One disappeared. We it got swiped. We're not sure yeah, that one okay. went, but we found the other one. That's not, reviewed the SIM cam or the SIM card, and went through all the photos. And it, it was actually kind of funny. It was uh, all it was was uh, the wildlife during the day, and at night the raccoons and the deer. It was intriguing, even though it was well camouflaged. The raccoons could, could sense it, and so could huh. the deer. And they come up and they'd nuzzle and nose and push the brush away, and and they would. They would paw at it, and so they could hear this frequency, and I suspect that these things can hear it as well. Yeah, that's kind of my, so, my sort of theory, I guess, without really having, you know, being informed of uh, all the inner workings of the Bigfoot phenomenon. But yep. uh, I guess it would make sense, if, especially if they're emitting low-frequency sort of, you know, waves or whatever. Uh, they're, yep. they're probably operating at a different sort of uh, range of frequency that's sure. not, you know, uh, detectable by humans. Right. Uh, so that would make sense. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, when I had a question about how big these things are and mm. if they're moving around so quickly, mm -hmm. you know, wouldn't they, I don't know, wouldn't they shake the ground when they run around? And like, I, I'm just confused mm -hmm. about how they're yeah. so elusive if they're so big. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and it really depends on uh, the, and, and the more of the research that I've done and, and some of the investigators will agree with this, uh, depending on the, the geography, uh, where they are and on the map. Uh, in the in the southeast, where where I'm at, and down in Florida, they're they're a little bit smaller. Uh, they average between six to seven foot tall. And some of them we've had reports of them up to eight foot tall. They're not as um, the further south you get to where swamps of uh, Louisiana and Florida and South Carolina, they're a little thinner in stature, and so they're not as heavy. They're big still. Um, you get up here in, in the mountains of North Carolina, some reports are seven, eight, nine feet tall, a little bit heavier, a bit more muscular. Some of the descriptions we've been given, they look like a bodybuilder or a big football player. Oh, big wow. Chest, massive. Um, you get up in the Pacific Northwest, you get up in Northern California area, um, in, you know, in uh, Oregon and Washington State, Alaska, and, and uh, in Canada, where the terrain is more rugged, they're bigger. There have been some reports of them being in excess of 9, 10, 11 feet tall. Um, and, they're, and, they're, and they're massive, big bodies. Well, if you were to kind of do some reverse engineering on biology and take a look at it, it would only stand to reason that they would need to have some sort of bigger physique to navigate across tougher terrain. Right. A lot of these sightings, people see them going up the mountainside. They see them going right up the side of a steep mountain like you and I walk across straight ground. And so their, um, their, their biology allows them to kind of navigate on some pretty tough, tough, tough terrain. But right. even in North Carolina, some of the sightings we have, people, they've heard them come to the campsite. They've thumped the ground. 
Um, but they're also very, um, um, if I can use this term, ninja-like on their feet. Right. Probably some, probably some of the best footage was taken by an investigator, a friend of mine named Mike Green, out in this area. Thermal footage, some of the best footage, and I know Mike very well. And you can take—I also—he's one of my litmus test guys. If he says he saw something, heard something, and then you could take it to the bank. And he's right. been doing this for many, many years. And he got uh, some very good thermal footage of one. And you are a national force now. We're here uh, where we're doing our investigations. And basically, he was uh, baiting a stump with Zagnut candy bars. Um, <laughs> and he had been doing that over years with other things, or over, over the months, and, well, and years, to try to um, win its confidence to lure it out to try to get it on camera. And he was able to successfully one night. But what he found out, the surprise is, in way in the distance, it was kind of covering itself behind trees, and then it kind of crouched down, disappeared, and then it, and then it popped up by the stump. And it literally was low crawling, what? low crawling. It was crawling on its its hands and its feet. So, um, they're very cautious of humans. Oh, uh, that careful. freaks me out more than anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The more I do the study, the more I start reading about it and hearing about it and seeing the evidences. The more it's um, they're they're highly intelligent. This is oh, also why I don't Lordy. think it's the, this this ancient ape. This is also why I don't think it's any kind of um, yeah a, of a missing link. They're evading twenty first century humanity. Well, that kind of brings me to another thing. Going back to the Nephilim yeah, theory yep. that you have, yeah. um, you know, we could we could all see where kind of biologically the the shape of the skull and the description yep. and everything yep. is very similar yep. and, and could mm-hmm. be compared to a Nephilim. But what the heck are they doing? Or are they just? I, I mean, you mentioned that they they always try to you know uh, scare humans away yeah. or something. Are they just yep. out protecting the forest, or uh, I think they are trying to. What could be a Nephilim agenda out there? Yeah, right. I think the Nephilim agenda right now is just trying to trying to survive. I think yeah. they know that they're um, that they're that they're excuse me. They're I think they're they're damned. I think they know it. Right. I don't think they're they're obviously they're not they're not redeemable um, right. because they're this hybrid. And, and, and I think that ultimately, um, they're just trying to survive from modern human more and more as our technology increases, their, their hiding yeah. spots are getting less and less. Um, and so, uh, they're, uh, they're uh, right now, I just think they're just trying to survive. I don't think they have a specific agenda. Yeah. Now you I know, could be wrong that, though. I mean, that maybe they're part of that last day's army. Who knows? <laughs> but, well, you know, that's a, that's a really level headed way to look at it. Hmm. Um, and I like that because a lot of times we think, you know, Nephilim, um, you know, the, the general theory is that they're evil and they're only, uh, and I'm not saying they're not, I'm just saying they're, their whole purpose for being on earth is to destroy humanity. And I, we kind of think of them as living in some underground lair 24 seven planning on how to, you know, yeah. destroy the world or yeah. do whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense if they're literally just this tiny genetic remnant and they're a physical, physical material being Yep, that they just need to be able to live before they can carry out any evil plans. Yeah, I think that's what they're doing. And I think they, um, I think they have the ability to reproduce. The populations are very small, which, which also uh, kind of explains the, the low number of sightings that people do have. Right. Uh, it's been theorized by a couple of wildlife biologists that are doing this research seriously that, um, and it, and numbers get tossed around on there. So somebody's going to disagree with me, but I have heard a 
some of these guys that the population across North America is between eight and 10,000 in total of, of these particular things, right. uh, whatever you want to call them creatures. Um, and people are like, well, that's a lot. Well, not really. There's, uh, I think a total, uh, bear population in North America is like four to 500,000. Yeah. So, you know, I've been out in the woods a lot and I've, I've never seen a black bear, even though I know they're there, but the, the, you know, me getting out there to see one when I'm out camping and stuff, I don't see them that often. Yeah. I'm just kind of now take an animal that's, you know, a low population between eight and 10,000 and spread them across North America and they're nocturnal Yeah, <laughs> and they're smart. Yeah. You know, the, the people who see these things, uh, man, it, the, the sightings are between one and two seconds. People are like, well, they get them on their cell phone. Well, here's, here's your typical sighting. You're driving down a dark, dreary road and you're going down to two lane road and you got your phone beside you and one, two seconds, it just ran across the road. Where's your phone? Yeah. <laughs> It, you know, it's not like, hey, stop, take a picture. I mean, these yeah. things, the, the, these sightings are between two and three seconds long. And so nobody has a time to grab the camera. Right. Yeah. What about, you know, where do they live? Where, where are they theorized to live? And also, what do they eat? You know, because yeah. if they're that big, yep. you know, we have the stories yep. of, uh, uh, was, what was the, the uh, blanking on the name of the giant that's in the Bible that. Goliath? No, not Goliath. Before Goliath, uh, King Og, Og, yes, Og, King Og, yeah. and Doug yeah. Hamp did some work on you know yeah. how much food he would have to eat to maintain his yes. physique and stuff. Yeah, where where are they getting their food, and then where do they dwell? Yep, yeah. good question. So, uh, and down here in this part of North Carolina, I can speak to this really well. We have a huge, huge, give you a big science term, ungulate population, deer, horned horned critters, lots of deer, lots of raccoon, and uh, lots of farming in this area, lots of corn, soybean. Uh, and so a small, small population, I theorize that in our little area where we do our research, we probably have maybe three or four little clans, maybe 20 of them. Uh, and there's hundreds and hundreds of deer, lots of plenty of fish, lots of corn, lots of, uh, naturally growing fruits and nuts that are in our forests. And so they're foraging in those a lot. Um, there are a lot of rocky outcroppings, uh, low, uh, worn down mountainous ranges in this area. Uh, I, I don't think they stay um, in one spot. They don't have like a village. Um, they're they're nomadic and they right. move around. I think, especially here in the studies I've shown in my little research area, I think during the and it, it, you can actually I can I graphed it on a, on a calendar. Um, the the hot seasons here when they're out and the sightings happen are between March through June, and between June and August they disappear. I have a theory that they navigate down um, the river basins towards our coast. Uh, to where water's a little more plentiful and the food lots a little more plentiful, and so they'll navigate those areas. But they will—they're going to remain disclosed, and most of the time, they're going to be off the beaten path. They're—they're they're going to be, you know, way away from where we travel. You know, people are like well, I'm in the forest all the time. Yeah, you're on human trails. Yeah. You're on the safe area. You're—you're you're not, you know, grabbing a GPS and just blazing your way through right. the forest. Uh, you know, otherwise you're going to be a National Geographic story or a. Yeah. Story people don't understand really how big the wilderness is out there once you get out absolutely. there absolutely absolutely and, and you're guys neck of the woods you get out like in the in the bluff creek california sierra nevada and stuff goodness uh -huh. gracious man yeah you know uh, I've, I've gotten uh turned around and just our small force out here now fortunately around here if you kind of keep going straight eventually you hit a road um, <laughs> you know it'll take you a day or so but the world's overpopulating so i don't i don't know what you're talking about we're, we're getting so crowded <laughs> on this on this planet here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that's right. We're supposed to, but anyway. But they, and I think they had got to answer your question again, Gonza. There, there's uh, a lot of away from the area, places where humans are, is where they're going to hang out. But there's there's some reports in some areas where they're very opportunistic and they scavenge and they'll they've been caught 
rummaging through dumpsters in rural cities. Yeah, I, I'm just. I wonder if there's some sort of underground cavernous system that you know they sort of network around the around the world, or at least you know. Yeah, on, it would on, surprise me if, if you ever do do some research on the Mammoth Caves in Kentucky, and they're they're still exploring and finding new uh, areas, and they'll they'll pop up in another state. They're like, "Oh, yeah, check this out. We're in you know we're now in Ohio." Wow. You know, what, wouldn't surprise me at all if some of these natural caverns and stuff are being used for them to traverse or navigate. But for the most part, the theory is they use the waterways. The um, and some of the the terms that they'll use in the Bigfoot community is they're known as um, the North American River Ape. Um, they'll, yeah. they'll call them that. They and they're always coming out of tributaries, creeks, and rivers. Hmm. That's interesting. Yep. Have yep. you ever tried to imagine um, a perfectly shaved Bigfoot? <laughs> never 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 have I don't, I don't know what they would use flint rock i've had that vision stuck in my head for about five minutes and i just needed <laughs> to get it out there i don't know what are you doing man <laughs> i was just i was just trying to think how well i'm already i'm already terrified of them now and i'm like what would make yeah. them scarier well look, Probably look rest assured them. rest assured now there, there are some of these stories out there but rest assured 98.5% of all the sightings, they are just as scared of you as you are of them, and they get right. out of Dodge. Now, there are, that, you know, there are those few stories. Look at all the, um, you know, the, the Native peoples in America and across the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And some of the Native American legends are pretty, pretty frightening. That there, and there was actually a story of the, what's called, look up the Bigfoot Wars. Um, and there were actually some wars between Native Americans and the Sasquatch. Oh, um, and, and they, I think they came to this. They came to this mutual agreement that they would. Oh, this this force. This is your side of the force, and this is our side of the force. But they would actually come in, and um, and I, and I think even L.A. hits on it a little bit uh, when he's talking about the, the the giant peoples around the world. And I'm not sure. Have you guys talked to him before, L.A. Marzella? Yeah, he's a friend of the show. Okay, uh, yeah. has he ever talked about the the Sasquatch connection at all? I've heard him. I don't know if he talked about it on the show. I've I've heard okay. him talk about it though. It, what about it would be you guys? interesting to, to see him bring that kind of full circle. I know he's looking at the stuff down in South America, right? The elongated skulls and stuff, and I think he's definitely onto something. But even more, I think you know, not that I mean, again, trying to get see one of these things live is is almost nearly impossible unless you're in the sensationalist camp. But yeah. if you're if you're truly out there trying to, it's going to be very very difficult to actually. Now, if I can take people out in investigations, we can hear things in the distance, but yeah, um, very rarely that it get that close. So, how has the reception been? You mentioned your your associate pastor at a yep. at a church plant. Yep. You're obviously a Christian guy. You've, yes, sir. Well, I'm assuming your wife is Christian. Absolutely. Um, have you shared this sort of thing? Do do your church oh, yeah. people know about this? How is that do. received? They, they're, yeah, they're very familiar with my my unusual hobby, and it's uh and and they, and they uh, you know a couple of them roll their eyes. They're good friends of mine, but yeah. uh, for the most part, once and we'll have our uh, our discipleship studies, and in our discipleship studies, I'll, and and our, our our lead pastor, my very good friend Mike Owen, we talk about this. I'm like, you know, this is, and, and you guys hit on this a lot in your discussions, and Gon's hits on a whole bunch, and I know Doug Douglas uh, Doug Hemp does as well. This a lot of this type of topic is taboo, and people don't talk about these kinds of things right. because it's, uh, you know, quote the paranormal. It's it's relegated to the tabloids. But I take in my discipleship studies because these are the questions that are facing culture and millennials today, and they want to know 
Now, Tommy, what's going on with, what's up with Bigfoot? What about yeah. aliens? What about ghosts? I mean, it's, it's pop culture, man. All this paranormal stuff is in our face. Yeah. And yeah. so the church is like, I don't know. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to use the brain that God gave me. I'm going to look in his word. Unless they found it on that. And then I'm going to look at the evidence that's out there, and I'm going to put two and two together and, 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 you know, line it out. And I think that's what you guys have done intelligently. I think that's what L.A. Mazzurli has done intelligently. I think that's what Hemp's done intelligently through the age of deceit. I'm probably, I mean, I'm, I'm your biggest evangelist out here. Watch this show. <laughs> Watch Age of Deceit. This guy, all the stuff that you're hitting on is stuff that I was told and started doing my own independent studies pre-internet. I'm like, and then you guys started doing it. And God's honestly, for you guys, so you be able to be revealed to this as a young Christian and see this is, is remarkable. This is stuff that God revealed to me over the years of being a Christian for almost 30 years now. Yeah. That's incredible. And I think that there's a, I think there's a gift that some people are endowed with by God to see some of these evidences, but we also can't just hold it to ourselves. We have to tell folks, <laughs> right. you know, look at this. And so this, and with Bigfoot, that's what, and that's what I do in the discipleship, discipleship studies is explain to these guys what this is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. So, yes, they do. They do know. And we're a smaller church, and we're growing. We were only about a year and a half old. Yeah. Um, but we've got, you know, 50 to 60 folks. The Bigfoot Church in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, it was the, you know, it's the quirkiest thing. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm new in the ministry. I, I felt I was called in ministry when I was 40, about five years ago. And I started going. I'm, I'm attending Liberty University to get in my degree, and I'm an associate pastor, and we're evangelizing. We're getting gospel into our community. And it was one of the quirkiest things. When I was in the midst of doing this, I was at the the peak of this investigation work, and God was like, you know, I'm, you've had your run. I know this is kind of fun. Kind of need you back in the in the game with the harvest and stuff. <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah. I'll, I'll still let you, you know, dabble in it and do your research. But there's, there, and I'm like, how can this be? How can I use this? Yeah. And it's been remarkable how it's actually a segue opportunity to getting gospel out. And yeah, so the, I would the think three, so. And here's my third comment. I'm a big barbecue fan, I'll, and I'll just throw this up. There's they're my, the three Bs. It's Bigfoot, barbecue, and Bible. Those are my three <laughs> that's, that's what I do well. So, and Bigfoot's just one of the, the bigger ones. That's funny. So, the, th yep. the three Bs out here, the Better Business Bureau, always emailing <laughs> us and down our throats. But uh, I had a question about just sure. your, your opinion and thoughts on mm -hmm. historically – you know, mm -hmm. uh, you got the Smithsonian, you got the greater yep. scientific community. Yep. Has there been, do you think, an organized cover-up? Do you think that there Gosh. are people who know that they exist and just sort of let it be? Or yeah. what are your opinions there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and I've talked to a few investigators uh, that have been a lot doing this a lot longer than I have, and they've told me of stories of, and, and these are good folks, uh, saying, you know, they're, they're not crazy or paranoid. And they're like, man, you know, sometimes uh, it's, you know, I feel like maybe the phone's tapped or there have been some interesting people who have come up as I've done investigations or asked me questions and um, they, they look like maybe a government official. I don't know. I don't right. know why they would want to cover it up. You know, if you look at the big picture, like you've spelled out in Age of Deceit, and you look at the whole thing and I pull back and I look and I'm like, you know, what what would it be other than, you know, not trying to get the truth out of them being a Nephilim? And I don't know if the general population would even accept it anyway. So I'm not so sure about a cover up. Um, I don't know, you know what what purpose it would serve if they if that truth did come out, right. or if it didn't come out. You know, I, I don't know. You know, the, the cover up thing's kind of kind of tough. I don't see personally any evidences of it as I've been doing the investigation since two thousand and five. You know, ten years. You know, no men in black have come up to me and go, "Hey, you need to you need to tone down the Bigfoot Nephilim Red Eric a little bit." Right, right. Yeah, I've not had that. Huh. I'm yeah, not that's sure, interesting. Guys. 
That's interesting as well, because, you know, it seems like if they show that Bigfoot exists, then, you know, there's some paradigm in the scientific community in terms of evolution that would have to be revisited. And, and, uh, you know, and I'm sure they've already theorized on how it could fit into, you know, sort of a, a branch race that, you know, sort of went off in a different direction from the evolutionary tree or whatever. But I think it's interesting that there's seemingly, I mean, when you start talking about it, we've talked for the last, you know, close to an hour here and yep. I'm t- completely convinced that they're out there. <laughs> there's there's no, no doubt in my <laughs> no, mind that they're out there. They, no, they are. I, I will tell you. And, and I, it takes a lot for me to believe in something. And just based off the small evidences that I've seen, you mind if I tell you one more story? Go. You got a minute. Okay. Okay. So this is one of the more seal the deal type stories that really, um, that really helped me in, in firming up. But this is a genuine phenomenon. This happened back uh, 2009 when the Animal Planet uh, program was out here filming Finding Bigfoot. So as soon as uh, all of that uh, media circus started coming down, and this is a very small town in North Carolina, um, they had a, a town hall meeting to where basically anybody's had some sort of Bigfoot sighting comes out. If you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The town hall people get together and they say, raise your hand if you have a Bigfoot story. They raise their hand, they tell their stories. Well, in the midst of the storytelling, there was one guy out, and there was in the fire department. He was kind of to himself in the back. He had his orange hunter's hat on, and he was one of the local. And, and most, and you understand, in this small town, North Carolina, most of these people are very to themselves. They are not very forthcoming at anything, even one-on-one. And so you, you have to build up trust for folks like this because they just don't care to tell these stories. And so this one guy, um, he got the courage to speak and he spoke up and he's a hunter. He said, you know, I don't know about all this Bigfoot stuff, but I can tell you my story. And basically and just to give you a quick summary of it. He was out hunting out here in the UR national forest. He shot a deer, uh, a spike, butt, just two little horns coming out, shot the deer and he killed it. Gets out of his deer stand and he decides to walk back to his truck and get something, you know, figured he killed the deer. He'd come back to get the deer. He's not in a hurry goes to his truck, comes back, goes to where the deer was shot, deer's gone. Well, that's not unusual. That happens sometimes when you kill a deer. Sometimes they're not completely dead, and they're, they right. kind of drag themselves off. So he goes with that theory. He's walking around, sees the trail of the blood, sees the, the limbs being dragged to the ground, and then all of a sudden the trail stops. It's just gone. He's like, well, this is odd. So he starts kind of just searching the area, the perimeter. And out in the distance, he's looking towards this creek. And he sees a very hairy object, thinks it's a wolf or something. He pulls up his rifle, looks at it through his scope, and sees it's like this humanoid hairy thing. He said, it stood up, let out this big scream, and then it was over, it was over my deer. And uh, he said he let out this big scream, and they immediately started grabbing sticks, leaves, brush, quickly, and just started burying the deer what? with all this debris, and buried it, and let out a scream, and ran up this creek. And he got out of there and, you know, he left and, uh, you know, to get his deer. And so that was a pretty good story. So follow that away. So uh, a very good friend of mine owns a store out in El Dorado, North Carolina. It's a little small town. And it's kind of the, the hub for the recreation that's done in the National Forest. And he said, Tommy, let's call up this gentleman. He was one of the guys that originally created the 22-mile Uari Trail in the Uari National Forest back in the 60s. He was the, right. you know, if, he, if, if anybody saw anything, 
would have been back in the 60s when people were hardly walking around this forest. Maybe he saw something while they were out making this hiking trail. So he calls, we go back to his office, and, he, and uh, he's an elderly gentleman, and he's uh, been at home with his, uh, his wife, who is uh, at home and can't, they can't leave. Basically, they've been housebound. And so he wasn't under, he heard about the circus was going to land on and everything. So anyway, we call him up, and Chris is like, how you doing? And he's, oh, doing good. He goes, what do you think about this Bigfoot stuff? He said, oh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. He said, well, let me ask you something. He goes, in your years back when you guys made the trail on the Uari National Forest, did you ever encounter anything like a Bigfoot? Did you see a Bigfoot or see anything strange? He said, no, never saw a Bigfoot. He goes, there was a section in the northern part of the trail where while we were blazing the trail, it felt like somebody was watching us. It just felt, he said, spooky and creepy were kind of the terms that he used. And so hmm. he said, we actually turned the trail and kind of went made the trail kind of curve around that area so that the trail didn't go through that area. And we said, oh, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. He said, he said, yeah, and the only other thing that we saw that we always thought was odd, he goes, as we would be making the trails through the forest, Every once in a while, we'd come across this big pile of, tree, of limbs and leaves, and there would be deer buried underneath them. What? This man was not at that, that town hall meeting. This man had been in his home. He had gotten out. He, he wasn't there. He had never heard that story. Right. You had corroborating stories here. He had a, a man that in the 60s, the originator of this trail, that would find these piles of leaves, piles of stick with deer shoved underneath them. Now, fast forward in the future, 2010, I've got a hunter but actually witness one of these animals bury a deer under leaves and sticks and limbs and trees. I got goosebumps and I was like, that that's evidence right there. Even that's though it's not physical crazy. Pictures, that that matches up. And when you get stories like that, that makes me go, okay, there's something to this. There's something to it. What do you think the Bigfoot was doing burying because to me it sounds like he was somehow upset or, you know, tortured by yeah. this idea of of dead <sighs> animals. Yeah, well, I don't think he was tortured by the idea. I think he, he they're opportunistic hunters sometimes, and he saw the kill. He's like, "Oh, cool! Look, somebody went and did the did the dirty work for me. Got the uh, got the deer. It was he was probably over there getting ready to eat it. The hunter stumbled upon him. He gets mad, tries to camouflage it, hoping the hunter won't see it. Yeah, takes off. Yeah, it does seem like there's a couple of ways to look at that. I was thinking like he was saving it to eat later or something. Oh but, yeah, and saving it to eat later too. But yeah, Gons, when you mentioned that, that is interesting, and that that does bring up another point, which is yep. the new age and sort of the naturey sort of spiritualities almost deify Bigfoot in some cases. This is not will, yeah. this is not a general statement, but I've I have seen this before. Uh, do you have you encountered any of these people that you know are that believe Bigfoot is the guardian of Mother Nature's forests and yeah, things yeah, like that? that and, well, yeah, we'll get that from 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 time to time. Right. Um, out here in out here in the east, they just consider it, or uh, I say in the southeast, is more of a, a boogeyman type creature. Right. Um, on occasion, you know, I've ran into folks that. Um, that come down and think that it's they, they call them you know protect the force or what have you but not surprising i mean i mean history's um, you know replete with it i mean you think about all the kings like king og and they were probably elevated to some sort of a worship type status i mean one thing that comes to mind is never made the connection but the um, the movie 300 i think right. the king was was that arctic xerxes he's portrayed with big tall and they called him the god king i think there yeah. was a lot of that going around there's your shaved and, bigfoot basil there you go. Welcome. Adorned with jewels. Adorned with jewels. Yeah. Let us reason together. So uh, you know, I think that would that happen. I think that uh, that's 
definitely a, 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 a an idea yes. people have. Yeah. Of God. Now, is there is there a connection with the Yeti? You know, we often hear yeah. about the Yeti in the in the. Colder I think so. Regions. I think it's just a it's again a different um, a breed of the. I'm going to say I'll call them a nephilim and nephilim. You know, their genetic code is, yeah. is designed to um, adapt to certain environments. I mean, our bodies do the same thing. Any any species, you know, that's created has the, the DNA code. So it basically, if it goes into a, a, a climate where it's colder, it's going to make thicker fur. That's you right. also see that in Bigfoot sightings here in North America. If you go down. Uh, say the skunk ape in Florida, their 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 hair is sparser, mm-hmm. not shaven, but you know it's uh, <laughs> it's 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 less, and you see more of the face and the skin. Uh, the further north you get, the the more uh, the fur or the hair that they have. Right. And so I believe in a yeti. Yeah, absolutely. That's and really... then Australia has the yowie, and there's all kinds yeah, of. Uh, that was going to be my there. question next. How many different big feet, big footed creatures are there? <laughs> Multiple different um, uh, accounts and different cultures. Yeah, just um, I, I, really I as many exact number as many e- different everywhere, um, there are. It, everywhere, but I think Hawaii is like the only little area that doesn't. I'm not sure there's some other like remote islands. Only Easter Island has any, but right. <laughs> yeah, that would be very odd. They can't swim. <laughs> yeah, so but they're they're pretty much on every continent um, for most 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 of the world. Right. Wow, that's interesting. It is. Well, do you have a website or anything like that that you kind of uh, let people know what your work is? Or I, I don't. It's um, again a, a lot. A lot of this is fledgling in my ministry. Yeah, One of those things as a church planter and uh, getting gospel out in the community. Goodness, how do I how do I use this for right. evangelism? And and it's been used in just general conversation while I'm out and about and, and yeah. we talk about it. And when I give when I give talks on on occasion. And yeah, me yeah. You mentioned before the show you talked to a lot of uh, Boy Scouts and Boy Scouts, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yep. Do you find oh, that that that's a a fruitful endeavor? Yes, and most of the time they, uh, I think the expectation is that I come in and give them a really good creepy bedtime story. But then when I start going through the forensics of uh, of the investigation, <laughs> right. talking about the eyewitness accounts. Then now they tend to be looking more of the shoulder now, wondering should I even go camping? <laughs> like, wait, is this guy serious? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, it, it's just one of those weird, bizarre topics. And you tell people, and I always just try to qualify. So, guys, I mean, I'm going to tell you about my hobby. It always yeah. comes up and you say it. <laughs> and, and but you know, if if you're open minded enough, you just kind of look at things. Of course, you know, we have to have discernment, especially as believers. And you can't. I mean, we could go way off on rabbit trails. Yeah, but I've, you've got to guard it in. But there's something to it, um, and there and really, when you start doing the research and the study, I think there's a more to me more and more connection. I know people that are big believers. I hear this from think I'm crazy, but I think there's more of a nephilim connection here than most people realize. Absolutely, especially when you married up with LA's uh, LA studies, you put those together, it connects the dots. Yeah, very well. No, totally, and I'm I'm yep. glad you um you uh, uh make that connection with him. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Gives me something else to talk about with him next time. Please do, him. yes. Yeah. Now, um, there is the famous Bigfoot howl. Mm. And uh, I may consider myself to be a practitioner of um, the Bigfoot howl. <laughs> I'm, I may or may not bust it out in public situations. Uh-huh. Um 
depending on who I'm with and how many people I'm trying to scare away. Are you uh, a big guy, basically, or you're a tall guy? You got a big I am a, I'm a, I am a tall guy. I'm a big okay. guy. So I'm going to try to do it here. We'll see if the Uh-oh. internet can carry it. And then I want you to grade me and be honest. Because sure. if I need to work on it, I'm going to work on it. Ah. Go okay. ahead, buddy. All right, so I'm going to take off this headset and put it over here so I don't blow out the thing. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Yeah. Something like that? Yeah, that's a pretty good uh, whoop. And uh, what you'll, and there's different variations. And uh, and there's, and some people will debate me on this, but for the most part, the folks that I talk to and speak with, don't get offended, Basil, but they, that's more of the female call. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the males have more of a, um, a bigger, deeper, guttural, uh, how it sounds like a, an old fire engine, and it actually revs up, and I've heard this before, and Ooh. you can hear it in the distance, and it gives this, um, if you don't mind, can I give you my version yeah, of the male Sasquatch for, since we're measuring vocals? So it would go like this. It would go. Oh, and, gosh. And so. It's like an like air raid siren. <laughs> that's it. And that's what it's been uh, likened to, the air raid siren. And it's a male. Now, and I've heard this in the upstate of South Carolina. In the distance, you'll hear it. And then further off, you'll hear a response. And then sometimes you'll hear the whoop. Like did. Very, yeah, it's very primate sounding. It really, really is. Um, so, which is why most people think it's some sort of a, an ancient type of an ape, but yeah. who knows? And they also, the knocking sounds, I've heard that communication done as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I've heard that. Yep. <laughs> well, that's right. John's go ahead. Let me hear your, yeah, go. let's I, hear I your big foot. Not now. That's not going to happen. <laughs> it's knocking. <laughs> I'll do the knocking. I'll uh, I'll I'll put, I'll put the the visor beam camera on my face, but I won't do the calling. Okay. It's probably not a not going to do much. Yeah. I do have a question about the footprints, though, that people have found, yeah. and what what are some of the more compelling uh, footprints that have mm-hmm. been discovered? Yeah, Pacific Northwest um, has some of the best, um, and and Jeff Meldrum probably has a great collection of these what's intriguing about the footprints though people are like yeah you can fake a footprint what's intriguing is a lot of the ones that were taken from the 60s and 70s um never casted um especially some from the bluff creek area when you flip the cast over they actually can see dermal ridges the loops and the whorls in the actual print of the foot i don't think anybody back then now you know today somebody could say well don't forget to put the loops in the whorls if you're going to fake it but back right. then in the 60s and the 70s i don't think people were really thinking to put in the dermal ridges of the prints so the fact to have the dermal ridges and there's been uh, a guy out of Texas who is uh, law enforcement, uh, Jimmy Chilcott, I believe is his name. And he is a uh, forensic fingerprint expert. He actually gives uh, courtroom testimony for criminal investigations on fingerprints. And he actually yeah. looked at some of these cast prints, and he's like, these don't match any human prints, but they are, in fact, actual animal dermal ridges. And they run way different than humans do. They're more vertical. Right, at the right. loops your worlds are horizontal. So, yeah. Oh, and the, as far as me, now, my son and I cast one out of the URI National Forest uh-huh. back in 2007. Of a, and it was a smaller print, probably of a juvenile Sasquatch. 
Uh, it was probably it was 13 inches in length, but it was wide at the heel. It was about five inches wide, and the breadth of the toes it was a, probably about an eight to nine inch breadth of the toes. So it was a big, wide, fat footprint. Wow! And we cast that back. And there's there, has there ever been a case where they found maybe handprints or? And then also the second question, I guess, to that is the six finger, six toes thing. Has there ever been? Yeah. That's a good question, yeah, and that's definitely one of the connections I was uh, learning about with the Giants, and there have been some prints that have been taken uh, across the continent where they have had six toes, and there there was one of a knuckle print where it looked like it might have had a, might, may have had a six-digit. Um, so, But for the most part, they have been five-toed and five-fingered. Hmm. That's yep. interesting. That is very interesting. Now, do you... Uh are you partaking in this $10 million Bigfoot bounty thing? Are you going to share it with no. us when you find it? No, 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 not doing the bounty. I'm, uh, you know, like I said, uh, it's a lot of the, the serious investigations been put on hiatus. So it's now, um, you know, I, I, from time to time, I still interview people and talk to down in this research area and um, get out in the field from occasion, but not doing it. Well, it'll, it'll never be, it'll never be caught. Well, I was going to say, what are the, what are the, uh, you know, the, the parameters or what are the requirements to, you know, to win the $10 million, so to speak. Yeah. I think it's yet to yield a body. I think really, I think, that's the, I think so. Yeah. I think it's a, or either really good, uh, very good footage, but you know, footage can be so faked today. I mean, it's hard to say what's really good footage unless you're sticking the camera in the mouth of a Bigfoot, but even that can be faked. <laughs> it's true. And do you think uh, they'll, they'll ever come out with the official, you know, story or do you think a body will ever be caught? In yeah. Publicly? I, I think it's just a matter of time. Okay. Uh, before before it's revealed, I, 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 if I were uh, to give a prognostication, I would say within the next five to ten years, it's going to be one of those things that comes out. And they're like, oh, okay, they're real. Now, it's, at that point, you know, wh- what are they going to do with the housing going to get spun? Right. You know, uh, you know, and, and as we're getting these into this last days era, to me, it would even further um, the removal of people from church or believing if, for some reason, they try to make some kind of missing link connection with it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the same. Away. That's the same uh, timeline they're giving the um, declassification of UFOs right. and things yep. like that. Yeah. So it could so all it be could connected. All come together. Yeah, yep, it could. And I guess your ministry would definitely uh, be valuable <laughs> in terms of you know that if that, <laughs> yeah, if and when be. that comes out, that's uh, sure you'll probably be at the top of the list in terms of churchgoers looking for answers. Yeah. So looking for answers, <laughs> probably so. Good point. There you go. Well Yep. All right. Well, All right, guys. I was going to say, if there's a way that you want people to get a hold of you, we can give mm-hmm. that. Do you have a specific Bigfoot email mm-hmm. that you <laughs> use? Or, I, I don't, um, but if they, if they want to contact me through Facebook, I have no problem with people looking me up on Facebook. Okay. And, um, Tommy, first name T-O-M-M-Y, last name Poland, just like the country. There you and go. If they want to send me a PM and ask me some questions, uh, Feel free to do Sounds it. good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I just would be so surprised if somebody out there, um, if not one of our listeners had a Bigfoot mm-hmm. story. So I just yep. want to give them a place to go if they sure. need that. Absolutely. Feel free to contact me. Tommy Poland, thanks so much for coming yep. on the show, buddy. This was Thank great. Thank you guys. appreciate your work too and y'all's, your, your ministry and keep, keep it up and look forward to Age of the C3. Amen, <laughs> brother. All right, buddy. Well, we'll keep right. in touch and uh, right, see you guys. take it easy. so there you have it folks that was tommy poland bigfoot hunter yep um that was fun i'm I'm really glad we got him on here it's a little bit shorter of an episode but that's kind of refreshing 
after three hour episodes. Um, <laughs> so hope you guys enjoyed that. If you've got any uh, comments or questions about Bigfoot, you can hit up Tommy Pullen on Facebook. Also, you know, just hit us up on Facebook, Canary Cry Radio. Now it's that time again, everybody. Time for everybody to go to iTunes, leave a rating and a review because you love us so much that you would do that. Well, you know, even if you don't, going on to iTunes and leaving a rating and review helps out the show so much. A, because you can tell how many, uh, tell people how much you enjoy the show. Or B, if you don't enjoy the show, you can tell them that too. And it just keeps everybody on track listening to the good stuff. And we got some good ones recently. We got Damien Chico with wow and like a hundred exclamation points. Yeah. These guys are great. I love the synergy they bring to the body of Christ. Then we got Melissa saying great podcast, heavy info delivered in a way that keeps your spirit light. So much respect for these guys and what they do. Thanks. Melissa and bats says i love everything about this podcast from topics to the insight to the music production and design of it yeah we really appreciate all the uh great reviews i mean we've had so many good reviews it's amazing it's true we've also had some poor ones unfortunately most of the people who have mean things to say just tell us right to our face via email or a voicemail voicemail we've uh we've got you know some more people trying to make their way through the josh peck episode and still disgusted <laughs> well <laughs> you know it's funny because well it's not funny but this is a it's fact. hilarious this is a fact we have you know out of like the 230 something ratings and reviews we only have you know, eight of them that were not five star, which is yeah. pretty impressive. Well, don't only, tempt anybody. Well, I mean, well, we want honest reviews. We don't want That's true. You know, iTunes probably thinks we're a bunch of shills, you know, paying people to leave positive reviews, but we are. So if you want to go to iTunes, leave a positive <laughs> review, uh, take a screenshot, send it into canarycryradio at gmail.com and we'll send you $5. Oh gosh. Five Iraqi dinars. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but um i really enjoyed this episode i'm not a really i'm not a big bigfoot guy like i've never really looked into that topic yeah. i mean i've only seen stuff on tv and stuff like that so i found it just fascinating it was fascinating and next and time we was, go camping you should uh, be afraid of xerxes or i know i'm i'm glad that i did this episode after i came back from camping well this time I, this time i'm saying next time next time a shaved Bigfoot is literally the scariest thing I can think of. <laughs> that's great. crawling, crawling behind the trees, crawling on all fours, throwing rocks on, at your tent. That's so not chill with me. I do not care for that. All right. So there's that. Hey everybody, if you want to support Canary Cry Radio in a financial way, you're totally allowed to do that. That's totally cool. You can go to canarycryradio.com, click on the support tab. There you can make a donation. Um, there are all sorts of monthly subscription type donation things, which is great because you just set it up for 5, 10, 15, 20. I, I don't know. There's all sorts of possibilities. But you just set it up and you forget about it. And, you know, you just support us on a monthly basis and we get to keep the lights on we get to keep streaming over this beautiful internet machine it's a great thing or you know 
If commitment's not your thing, you can also make a donation in any amount. Any amount you want. Uh, what else? Like us on Facebook. Yep, Facebook, Twitter. You we got, got that Facebook. Email list. Oh, the email list. Yes. So uh, if you go to Canary Cry Radio, you can also um, join our email list. And we sent out the second half or the first half, depending how you look at it, of the Josh Peck episode. And that was hilarious. It brightened people's day. It disgusted some people. <laughs> and you know, I want to point out also that we okay. just passed our three-year anniversary and we didn't didn't really point it out or anything but march 16th was the first uh published canary or i'm sorry march 16th 2012 was the first published canary cry radio episode so we've been around for a long time we're almost veterans almost yeah well we're still what are we juniors i don't know we're we're lames we're we're lames Lames and uh, oh, juniors. You mean like if we were in high school? Yeah, if we're in high school, we're juniors. We're upperclassmen now. Yeah, but we're still getting beat up by all the freshmen. <laughs> yes, and uh, and uh, we hope uh, to do a lot more. And also, I'm just gonna keep hyping the hundredth episode. And we, okay. we really don't have any plans yet. But, <laughs> you really are. We no but, but I'm just gonna be like, wait for episode one hundred. It's gonna be cray cray. We'll just call it episode 100, Cray Cray. Cray Cray. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until you do, think outside the cage. The Bigfoot Cage. Woo! Woo!